Sometimes I distract myself with random ramblings, and I'm going to not do that this morning. So after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, meaning porches. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and this is important, knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? To which the sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I am going, another steps down before me. But Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Lord, I pray over the reading of the Word today and, and what you want to do with it. Um, yeah, God, that you will redeem this, uh, this opportunity that we have to be together and to consider what you're saying, Lord. It's not, not just random teachings from your book, but we believe, Lord, that you order our time and our seasons and our days and that you have us on a bit of a journey right now. And so, God, I pray that, uh, yeah, in the moments that follow and the time that we'll have, uh, in the rest of this day and over the next week and the week after that, Lord, that this word would resonate in our hearts and change the way we live our lives. And I always pray that, and I pray that that would happen by your grace, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been on, again, a journey uh, through the stories and parables of Jesus, and we actually two weeks ago took a look at the stories uh, from Luke chapter 5, which was about a leper uh, that was, uh, yeah, miraculously healed by Jesus. That's a comical story, by the way. One of the cool things for me is after even I might have had an opportunity to, to teach on a word or whatever, I'm probably not done processing it or really actually. The word, we don't so much process it as it processes us, right? I mean, so, you know, we don't figure the word out. The word figures you out. And so that word hasn't stopped figuring me out, you know, sorting, sorting me out, as it were. And, uh, but I love that story in Luke chapter 5. Um, in fact, it, it's interesting to me, the Bible says that, um, that, that Jesus was in one of those towns. I kind of skipped over that when we talked about this before, but um, Luke, of course, wrote uh, the book of Luke. That's why it has his name on it. But we believe that Luke wrote this as uh, Peter's eyewitness account. Peter doesn't have a gospel that's named after him, but, but most theologians believe that Luke is Peter's telling of the Jesus story. And I can only imagine that particular story that uh, when Luke was writing it down, he, Peter says, oh, i got another great story. There was this one day, and we, we were in one of these towns, and I bet Luke, because Luke was a bit of a statistician, you know, he was a physician, and he probably said, well, what town was it? And I can see Peter saying, I don't know, I don't remember what town it was, but it was amazing. Well, well no, I need to write down what town it was. And, and Peter said, I don't remember. And Luke probably said, well, ask Matthew. Peter probably said, Mark already did. So Peter said, I don't know, it was just one of those towns. And that's what Luke recorded. He tells us of a story of where a man was walking down the road. He was completely covered with leprosy. I joked about how sometimes maybe we pray, God, could I have someone who's not quite so covered with leprosy? Could I have someone who's not quite so messed up as a point of investment? Then we also talked about, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' encounter with a woman at a well. Uh, a Samaritan woman from Sikar who came out to Jacob's well in the middle of the day to draw water, and Jesus on a divinely appointed uh, 
connection with her, began to share with her the good news about a living water and, and the significance of that story, how that Jesus, when other people saw disaster, Jesus saw destiny. When other people saw uh, a bag lady, a sinner, Jesus saw his sister and how redemptive he was in that. So we started, even in the stories and parables of Jesus, a bit of a more specific conversation about our missional and incarnational Messiah. In fact, if you want to check it out at dpnrv.org, I wrote a, a, just a blog about that, and honestly, it, it's, it bears the same name that this word will have, but it's, it's very different. Not, not the same information, I promise, not even the same scriptures, because there's always too much to say. The problem is never uh, to have enough to say. It's to be narrow and specific enough for someone to hear what you have to say and respond to it, because I could, I could ramble about God's word forever because there's so much in it. But I would encourage you to check that out. But I want us to continue today anyway as we, as we follow through on the stories and parables of Jesus. And today I want us to look at what it means to be an incarnational Christian and what it would look like um, if we knew who we were as a, as a member of the Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 3 or 2.19. He said that, uh, or 3.19, he said, we are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He spoke to the fact that we are family. And so this morning I want to talk to you about incarnational Christianity and family resemblance. Um, John wrote it this way in 1 John 2, 6. He said, he who says he abides in him should himself to walk in the same manner as he walks. So as we walk our way through the stories and parables of Jesus, ultimately our aim is to learn from the life of Christ. I mean, there's no great uh, mystery mysterious objective our objective is simply to look specifically at jesus christ as he lived and breathed on planet earth somewhat chronologically certainly in the harmony of the gospels and learn what we can learn from him which is very very much (laughs) but again john said he who says he abides in him should himself walk in the same manner as he walked just off the top here i would like for us to realize how significant that word abide is in this passage Because I would submit to you that it is categorically impossible, right, to live the God life without God. That there's not anything that I can say today that will be as significant as this simplistic uh, revelation. And that is that when you spend time in the presence of God, it changes who you are and how you live. You don't have to have a great knowledge of the word. If you hang tight with Jesus, you will be forever made different. And even as a follower of Christ, if in any season you get far from him, it will also negatively impact, right, how your heart um, senses security or rest or value and the way that you interact with the world in which you live. Paul said it this way, that we are meant to be found in him. In fact, we sang a song this morning, the second song we sang, comes very specifically from Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 when Paul was in Athens and he had come to the city and Paul was quite the, um, he had quite a rhetorical gifting and an ability to to talk and to converse and to discuss and probably I would imagine even to debate it as much as he had been a Pharisee at one point. And uh, so he probably could sell ice to an Eskimo. And so he comes into this place they called the Areopagus or the place of great discussion, Mars Hill in Athens. And he, he begins to have a discussion with the philosophers of the day. 
and, and he identifies for them the, the God that they have identified with a marker, a grave marker, uh, as the unknown God. And the history in that is in and of itself very rich. We don't have time for it today. But as he's trying to describe to them the connection and relationship to this God and the God of the Bible and the way that he and, and all those that are a part of this new sect, this new uh, belief system, Christianity, He's trying to explain to them what that looks like. And, and I've said to you before, Paul often got very synoptic. Like he would start off on this monstrous explanation and description of something. And then after a few moments, he would just sort of cut to the chase. And this is one of those moments when Paul just kind of, I don't know if he just ran out of, man, let me just say it this way. He said in, in Acts 17 and verse 28, he said, it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. He just summed it up. And then he said this, he said, as some of your own poets have said, we are his children. And so he said, basically, everything we are or ever hope to be is because of who we are in him. We, I mean, every, we live and we move and we have our being, and it is because we are a part of his family. Note the resemblance. And so I would submit to you today, church, that it is the heart of God that, that we as members, again, of the household of God would see ourselves as a part of his family. And that there would be a notable resemblance when we live out our lives in this world. That to be an incarnational or missional God follower, we talked a bit about that a couple of weeks ago, to be missional. The most simplistic definition I can give to you of being missional is simply to live the missionary lifestyle right here, right now. What do we mean when we say that? Well, when we talk about going on a mission, Karen and I leave um, a week from next Wednesday to go to South Africa and we'll be over for a couple of weeks, her first trip. You can certainly be praying for us in that. She's very excited and I know it's going to be a, a critical and amazing God time. Uh, but, but when you go on a mission, you think about, man, I mean, you basically just load up, right? And, and you take who you are and, and everything you have and you apply it to this moment in, in the kingdom where you are all about whatever God is all about. But the, to be missional would be to live that way every day right here, right now. We don't need to adjust our geography. We just need to have a change of heart and understand that we are meant to be the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus came to earth. The incarnation, again, simply is a reference to the doctrine that says the second person of the Trinity came in human form. He came as a man to fight for man. And so as incarnational Christians or God followers, it is his heart for us that we would continue to embody, right, uh, literally... Uh, who Jesus is in our world. We are the human face of Jesus in this moment and in this world. And I've said to you before that the ascension to me is one of the more difficult things to swallow. When God thought it was a good idea to leave this to us, but he didn't literally leave it to us because he is forever with us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Go into all the world. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we know that he in fact sent himself back to us in the person of the Holy Spirit to continue to walk and work in us and through us. I want to talk to you this morning about the family resemblance. I think there are a lot of days when I think that you look a lot like Jesus. You're definitely his sister and I can tell. You guys favor. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. You know, it's interesting for me, the older I get, I don't know if any of you've had this epiphany as you get older, but I'll look in the mirror some days and I'll see my dad. I'm like, whoa. Sometimes it motivates me. I'm like, no more simple carbs. You know, but, but I'm just, I mean, there's some things in my features that as I age, I see my dad then when he was 45. I can remember him 
at this age. And so I, I'm like, wow. Or my brother, I'll say, man, you look a lot like dad. And what I want people to say when they see me is you look a lot like your father. You know, I want the way that I interact with uh, people in the body and in the world to be able to say, man, that guy right there, though, he's, yeah, I can see the resemblance. And the interesting thing, though, it's not really a physical thing that we're shooting for in that sense, though there's certainly a physical manifestation of it. But for me, I think the person that I've become the most like over the last 20 years has actually been Karen. Though we certainly don't look anything alike, and I'm very thankful for that. But beyond that, the the truth is, if you know Karen, uh, we have very different personalities. In fact, probably completely opposite personalities. She she is um, a melancholy, uh, phlegmatic, and I'm uh, sand clore, and you don't have to know what that means, but essentially... Uh, you know, I'm more of the uh, extroverted and she's more the introverted. And, and we're very different in that. But the truth is, over the last 23 years, as of this month, we've become more and more alike. And the reason is because relationship, hear what I'm saying. Relationship creates resemblance. Huh? We, we, we start to share values even at a deeper level and finish each other's sentences and know each other's hearts before a word is spoken. And that's the place we want to be with our God. We want to walk in that kind of relationship that creates resemblance. And there are some things that we can see in Jesus Christ that will help us. There are some things about His nature and character that we can see in, in these stories and in the parables that He shares and in the life of Christ as He walked on earth. And, and I would submit to you that the nature and character of God in this context, we can say that He was. But when we say He was, we also mean He is. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not like He just was, but even today, He still is. The same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. So we're not. this is not just a history lesson. I'm talking to you about who He is today. One of the things I would say that was a, was a feature, was a characteristic of Jesus Christ, something that we could see was that He was secure. It, it marked Him in His life on earth. He was, he was certain about who He was in a most fascinating way, which is important for us because in the world and even in the church, we often suffer from an identity crisis. You know what I'm saying? And we talk about that a lot here. There's been a, a deep foundation laid in dwelling place for, for identity and security in knowing where your value comes from. And Jesus, somehow, by the miracle of grace, even when He walked earth as a man, He knew that. I mentioned to you before in Luke chapter 2 and verse 42 that when Mary and Joseph were looking for Him and they were frantic for Him, that His, his response to them was, I must be about my Father's business. That He knew what He was about because He knew who He was about. He knew who He was. In fact, Jesus consistently in the Word refers to Himself as the Son. He's always saying the Son doesn't do anything except He sees the Father doing it. If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father because we have a family resemblance. But He seemed to have this certainty about who He was and because of that, when that Word was called into question, and we know that it was, even in His hometown of Nazareth, again, He was rejected. And there were certainly plenty of detractors who would have said, you're not, who do you think you are? To which Jesus could clearly say, I know who I am. 
There's a politician right now, certainly don't want to get into politics, but there's a man right now that serves as a governor in one of our states, and he's, he's been, it's, it's not Wisconsin, just so you won't have to think about what stories I'm trying to talk about, but he's, he's in one of our states, and he'd made some fairly significant moves and decisions and choices, some that maybe wouldn't cause you to have popularity, but yet somehow his, his polling numbers have been incredibly high, and I saw him on a morning show several weeks ago, I've never seen him before, barely had heard of him, but they were saying to him, you know, right now, people are saying you should toss your hat into the ring and run for president. You know, I mean, you would be a great candidate. And, and um, he said, here, here was his retort. He said, well, it's not their hat to throw. And they said, but yeah, but you, you would have a legitimate chance of winning. Why wouldn't you run? And he said, because I know who I am. I was blown away. He said, I don't need to run for president to know who I am. And I said that this is who I would be for the next four years, and you can know that that's who I am and that's who I'll be. And he said, if you don't know, I mean, it was like a little sermon popped out in the middle of this news program because essentially he said, if you don't know who you are, then you're driven by the opinion everyone else has of you. Karen posted on her Facebook recently, she wrote a quote that said, my value is not assessed, it is declared. And it is declared by our Father. And Jesus knew who he was. And it absolutely impacted the way he lived. And, and the family of God should be marked by that same reality. I know who I am. I mean, I know I'm a mess, but it doesn't change me being a son. And so I'm going to live like a son because a son is who I am. Do you hear me this morning? But often we have a bit of an identity crisis. I've been, I've been cheating over a little bit. I've, sn- I've snuck in here a couple of times on Wednesdays and tried to listen a little bit to one of our Learning to Live classes that is for ladies, which is about um, the father's heart for his daughters. And I don't know what's the exact name of that. I think I saw it written down earlier. It is um, Becoming a Daughter, Knowing the Heart of the Father. It's not on that piece of paper, but Tulio is good. And, I, and I've snuck in here and listened a little bit as, as ladies are, are learning or, or, or even having their foundation set more uh, solidly that they are a daughter. But here's what I was trying to get to in that. And if you haven't come, it's not too late, by the way. It would be definitely worth your time, ladies, again, 6.30 to 8. But, but Karen had a, a worksheet that she brought home this week, and the title of it had all these scriptures and stuff. It said, Father-Daughter Time. And I thought, what? That is so amazing. I'm going to scratch out daughter, right? Father-son time. BT is what we called it when the boys were growing up. Boy time, no. But, but we need that and we know that and we see that in the life of Christ that even when things were going incredibly well, he would pull away and just have some time with his father. Like it wasn't only crisis time. He just like, I mean, people were getting healed and ministries happening like crazy and he would disappear and go somewhere somewhere to have some BT because he knew who he was and it wasn't determined by all this quote-unquote success in ministry or life. And it wasn't, it wasn't deterred when, he, when there were detractors and it, it wasn't reaffirmed only because there was successes in ministry, but rather it was an absolute direct outflow of the connection and relationship he had with his father. And sons and daughters will have, live lives that are marked by peace and joy because they live in a place of certainty and security and a value that's declared and not assessed. I can say to you today that if, if you have to prove it, if you have, if you have to do something to earn it, then you will most certainly lose it. Or maybe you've never had it. But if you will know who you are in Him, 
We've been talking about that for weeks around here, knowing whose you are, and because you know whose you are, you will know who you are. And that will absolutely impact the way you live and makes us look a lot more like Jesus. Another thing about the nature and character of Jesus Christ, something that we can see as a family trait, if you will, is that he was very compassionate. We're talking about incarnational Christianity. We're talking about looking like we're living like Jesus because we are. And when we think about that that way, one of the things that marked the life of Christ and we see in the story that I just read to you today is that he was very compassionate. Not only was he compassionate, I would like to add another qualifier to that, but he was very intentionally compassionate. In, in uh, John chapter 5 here, Jesus shows up at the pool of Bethesda. There were 12 gates that led into the city of Jerusalem. And one thing you note in one of the Gospels, in, in back up to the story that just precedes this, and the disciples were kind of looking for Jesus. In fact, they were a lot of times looking for Jesus because he was rarely ever where they expected him to be. He was always off somewhere doing something, you know, because he was very intentionally compassionate. Just again, like the story I mentioned last couple of weeks ago about the woman at the well. I mean, he very intentionally went to see her. And I submit to you that it was a divine appointment, but that divine appointments are simply daily decisions that God makes for us. Like they are very intentional efforts on our part to hear what God is saying. And in Jesus' case, he was very intentionally compassionate. He showed up at the pool because he knew that that would be a place where there would be people who were in need. And he wanted to minister to that need. It wasn't just a a crisis response. Oh, no, somebody's in need and I'm unfortunate enough to know about it. I should respond in some way so that I can feel like a Christian. But it was rather I'm going to go look for someone who needs compassion because I got plenty to give. He lived on assignment. He was very intentional and incarnational. He was intentionally compassionate. And I think that that should be a family trait. I think that people should be able to know who we are because we are so intentional in the way that we show compassion. And even now, I don't have time to go into this in great detail, but I want to just say this to you, that our world lacks not for provision, but rather for distribution. Do you hear what I say? Whether we're talking about starvation or hunger or medicine or health or, or orphans needing adopted, we lack not for provision, we lack for distribution, and we are the distribution system. We're it. It's the family business. Jesus was very on point. He intentionally went to this place. There was a pool there. Uh, Archaeologists have uncovered what they believe to be the pool of Bethesda. It's a bit of a hot springs with mineral water. And there were certainly those that would have believed and still do that a hot spring, mineral water is good for you, but this man for 38 years had had no success because of this pool in being whole. And Jesus went there intentionally to show compassion. Now, I would submit to you that compassion is both giving and living. Listen, and you guys have been amazing, and we very much believe in pooling our resources, but I need you to know that giving is more than something you can put in a basket. And I know you know that. But we are our offering. Is how this family rolls. It's both giving and living. Another character trait that you can see in the life of Christ. It's very similar to this 
second one here that I've mentioned, but it's just this, that he was consistently connected. I say that differently than intentionally and compassionate because you just see that he was very, you know, like there are families that you'll see that just do a good job of being family. You ever notice that? Like, and you want to be a part of that family, right? I mean, maybe your family on earth wasn't quite like that, but your, your family lived together, but there was just this sense of disconnectedness. But you get around a family that's close and connected, that's special. And that's the way Jesus rolls, and that's the way we're meant to roll too. He was intentionally or consistently connected. He didn't let a gap develop in his relationship with his father, first and foremost, as I said a moment ago, he was very intentionally connected with people and with the needs that existed. He didn't separate himself from that, but he was very intentionally connected. Again, even in verse 19 of John chapter 5, he said, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that's what the Son does likewise. In John 14, Jesus gave the disciples a little bit of a heads up. His life on earth was coming to an end, and he gave them a, a, a bit of an inside look, and, he, and they didn't get it. But he said, look, I'm going to have to go away, okay? But don't worry, where I'm going, you know, and the way you go. And, of course, Thomas' retort to that was, what are you talking about? We have no idea what you just said. To which he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And he went on to say, but don't worry about me. Oh, and, of course, even the name for dwelling place. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, Right? And there was a word of encouragement about, I'm not, I'm not leaving you, but I've got to go away. But he said to them, he said, and I'll send a counselor or a comforter to come back and walk with you, right? So you know that passage? So he said, I've got to go away. But check out chapter 15 of John, right? Let's eliminate this, uh, the reference that divides one story here because then he went on to say, but you need to stay in touch. He said, I've got to go away, but keep in touch. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, the vine separated from the tree will wither and die. So don't do that. You've got to stay in touch, stay connected. And Jesus was very deliberate and diligent in doing that. He was very hands-on. Again, back to our story in Luke chapter 5. When the man came down the road with leprosy, we talked a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still just completely blown away by this. But the scripture says that this man with leprosy, Jesus touched him. He was very hands-on. Very much about staying connected, not letting distance develop. And in, and in that moment, I submit to you that he didn't touch him because it was necessary to heal his leprosy. He touched him because it was necessary to heal his heart. And it's a family trait. It's just kind of the way we roll. We're very hands-on. Our family's very hands-on. We like to get in the middle of the mix and stay very, very connected and be very hands-on. Another bullet point for you is that Jesus, a trait that we see in him is that he's very attentive, very aware, discerning. He was very discerning, still is. That marks the family of God. We, we should be a very discerning crew. You might say, well, but my gift isn't prophecy. Listen, we're all meant to hear God. In fact, uh, having a heads up is critical, right, to being incarnational. How can we possibly actually and honestly minister to people if we can't pray and hear a word from God? doesn't mean we always are supposed to speak it to them. And in fact, I would say to you that for the most part, we're not. But we still need to hear it. I was flying to uh, Charlotte last week sometime, and I sat next to a lady on the plane again, and just I was just kind of praying for her. Jenny, she reminded me of you, and I, and I, I mean, I was just, I was, had a place in my heart instantly for her. I love Jenny. And, but she, I said, how are you? And she said, fine, and so on and so forth. I said, you're really not, are you? 
Well, that was a little risky. I don't always say stuff like that. It was a little risky. Took a little roll there. She said, well, I'm actually in the fifth year of a fight with cancer. And, uh, and it's not going that well. And I had an opportunity to, to literally, physically, verbally pray with and for this lady. And I'll continue to do that. But in that moment, I was just being a son. Right? I, was just, I was in the family business. God's ministering to her. I wasn't the only plan he had for her. I was just a part of the plan he had for her. But it was an opportunity to be attentive, just to list heads up. You know, I sat down and I felt like the Lord said, heads up, I need you right now. We're on the move right here and this is an opportunity for you to be a part of that. Just being attentive, alert, aware, knowing when someone needs a hug. I tell you, probably one of the most special examples of this that I could share with you today is last summer I was coming through Tree of Life Daycare. And we've had a little boy that was a part of the daycare named David. David's just, I mean, he's just so easy to love. Super duper great kid. And he's not there now because he's in preschool or kindergarten. Kindergarten. Sheesh. They grow up so fast. Anyway, but David was the kid that would call me Cain. Cain. Not as in Cain and Abel. I don't know. This is apparently a wrestler. Okay? And yeah. That's what he would do. Good point. He would go, Cain. And uh and there for a little bit I would jump in there and, and play wrestle with him, but then we got in trouble. Because parents came back to Korea and said, why are you all teaching them to wrestle and whatnot? Because so, the other kids wanted to wrestle. David's parents had no problem with it. But anyway, so we stopped doing that. But one day, and I had a lot of fun conversations with David. And he would always call out my name and want to talk. But one day I was coming through Tree of Life and I was in a hurry. I had an appointment or something that I felt like I needed to be at. And so I, I cut through the front and I, I went by the half door on the blue room which is the first door on the right as you come through the door. And I was, I was just hustling. I was in a hurry. I didn't intend to be seen, but David saw me. And he said, hey, Ron, Kane, hey, Kane. Uh. And I heard him in there, you know. But I was in a hurry. Had somewhere to be. Some, and I'm sure it was like I had some godly business or something. You know what I'm saying? Ministry. Ooh. So I was boogieing through there, and I almost made it to the hallway. But I felt like I heard the Lord say, if I were you, I would go back and lean over that half door and talk to David. That's what I would do if I were you. So I stopped. Because a family trait, a characteristic that marks us, is that we, okay, come on now, I'm going to speak in faith, that we are attentive and discerning and sensitive to the need that exists around us because that's the way Jesus was. And in fact, we see in this story in John chapter 5, verse 6 through 9, we see that Jesus not only went to the pool, a place where there was need for ministry, but he saw someone specific that he could love and, and speak life to. And so he, he comes to this one guy, and in, even in that, he was also prophetic and discerning because the Scriptures, Luke, uh, I'm sorry, John goes ahead and tells us that the man had been there for 38 years. But then he says that Jesus, knowing, how did he know? I'm telling you, the prophetic edge in evangelism is critical, that we have a heads up about how to love somebody. There's not, there's not a book for this besides the Bible. There's not some plan that goes, oh, let me get you through the Roman road. Let me, let me try to tell you how it is because this is the way I was taught. It means being on point with the heart of the Father and loving somebody in real time. And Jesus in real time said, wow, 
Do you want to be made whole? I love his discernment there. He just cut to the chase. He didn't do well with white elephants. Oh, I should, uh, let me see how I can ease my way around this. He wasn't rude or confrontational, but he definitely cut to the chase. I mean, 38 years is a long time, dude. And the scripture says that he knowing that. I'm telling you, pardon the pun, but Jesus is, he's the postman because he's always reading mail, right? I mean, you know that that's true. And I want to be that guy. I do I want to be that guy that has that insight. Not so I can impress people, hey, but so that God through me can love people. So that I'm not flying blind and, and walking in ignorance, but that there's a place. And I never have to tell anybody. Just knowing I know makes me know that I heard from the Father. And there's then a place to love somebody. And he just asked the guy, do you want to be made whole? And the guy's retort to that was, yeah, if you could get me some good counseling, some people to sit down here with me and throw me in the water next time it's stirred, that'd be great. No, that wasn't the solution. And apparently this guy didn't know who was there. He didn't know this was Jesus because he didn't say yes or no. His answer to this question wasn't yes or no. And I will say to you that as you endeavor to do the will of God and love people and chat to people, their answers sometimes will be nonsensical. But if you can hear from God, you can speak to the heart, right? You can speak past the confusion or the distraction, Right? You can, you can speak past the diversion. This was a diversionary tactic on this guy's part. It's quite possible that this guy had an identity crisis that he didn't know who he was. But again, Jesus didn't say, see the diversion. He didn't just, he didn't just see uh, this guy as a disaster, but he saw a brother. He saw a fellow son. He saw someone that needed the redemptive work of, of God in their heart so that they could ha- have a sense of value and belonging and identity. And he spoke to that. And would to God that we could see that way too. Wouldn't this be the coolest thing for someone to say of us? Wow, he's got his daddy's eyes. Wouldn't that be cool? If we could see the way that God sees and love the way that that God loves. Jesus was very attentive. He was very on point. And then lastly, BJ going to grab a guitar. It was a character trait in Jesus that deals with motive. And that's this, that Jesus' vision and investment was always for and in people. When he had a vision or he took an opportunity to invest, it was always for, vision for, and an investment in people. Whether it's a mom coming to the neonate that's got to go back to her hard situation, and you just see. And your investment in that moment is in someone, not just in something. But he was very deliberate in that. That was that that was a character trait. It's a it's the way that the family of God is meant to operate. That there's a place where we believe that we can live life that outlives us. That might separate us a bit. People might say, "Well, that's pretty odd." Oh, Seawall, he believes that. Every day of his life counts and matters. He's, he's all about people. You must really believe in Jesus. That Angie Caldwell, she's a mom and she's a wife. And she's a creative marvel. But more than that, she sure does look like she's a part of the family of God. Because she invests. She has vision for She's outliving herself. You know what our family believes in? We believe in legacy. 
So for us, everything counts. And the cool thing is in that way of thinking, even when it, you know, we don't have to separate the spiritual and the secular. We don't have to feel like, well, you know, but then I got to do this. Listen, even for me, my time, one of my best times is if I can cut my day short. And this doesn't get to happen very long right now, but if I could get home by three, if I could get, there's a couple of days when I just try to beat Karen home. So I can maybe throw in about three loads of clothes, you know, and I can uh, just pick up a little bit and make sure that the rugs get vacuumed and start dinner. But can I tell you that that's such a redemptive thing for me? Because at this point, it all has value. Because often that's some of the best quiet time I get. It's not separate or different. It's the same because God's in all of it. So I might, you know, I'll put my iPhone over on the, the dock and I'll be listening to some Jesus tunes while I'm doing those things. And, and I understand that there's redemption in it. And it's an investment. And it's an opportunity. It's just kind of the way our family rolls. Our family. Jesus stopped by the porch that day. It was not wasted work. It wasn't uneventful. Do you want to be made whole? Then he gave the guy some very pragmatic instructions. Sometimes I wish that our family was marked by simplicity. Just keep it simple. He just said simply, why don't you just take up your bed then and walk? And so after 38 years of futility, he had a real connection with the family of God. whole in his new book which I haven't had a chance to read yet I've only read the introduction because Karen's uh, she's got that thing right up man but it's called outlive your life and in the introduction he tells a story about it's an allegory and it's a story about a man uh, a sea captain that during the late 1800s was or late 1700s was uh, sailing and they had to go around a storm and got a bit off course. Not so much that they were lost. They could make an easy correction. But they were in some uncharted waters. And they came across a series of islands. And so the captain saw an opportunity to map those islands. And so he wanted to chart them. So they dropped uh, anchor and put down a lifeboat and went ashore. And they got to the first island and it was very sad. The people on the island were living in abject poverty. And complete ignorance. Very dark place. And he was very discouraged. He didn't feel like there was anything they could do for them. And he went to the second island and found it very much the same. And the third island. And even a fourth island they went to was just horrible misery and terrible health situations and lots of death and darkness and sadness. And then finally they went to a fifth island, the last island in this little archipelago. And they, they uh, boated up to this island and immediately he could see that it was totally different. The people had life in their eyes and the, and the kids were healthy and, and there were thatched huts all about and, and things were clean and neat and well cared for. And, and so he asked for the chief and the chief came and he was a, a short, jolly little dude with much confidence. And he said, yes, our island is. And he was explaining and he said, well, tell me this, though. Why is your island so much different than the other islands? What, what's made the difference? I mean, you're only a very short distance apart. How can, how can it be so different here? And he said to him, he said, well, it's because of Father Benjamin. He said, Father Benjamin? He said, yes, he came here many years ago, and he told us about Jesus Christ. And he's brought light to our island. And he's, he's even showed us, he's shown us how to, how to grow crops and how to, how to catch fish. And he 
he's shown us a way to build and and he's brought health and supplies to our island and that sort of thing. And he said, wow, that's amazing. He said, does Father Benjamin live here? And he said, yes, he does. He said, well, I would like to see him. And so he said, he, he kind of, the, cat, or the chief got with a couple of the other elders and they discussed for a second. And they said, well, come with us. And so they took him on a walk through some of the village and some of the health that was there. But ultimately, they took him to a place where there was a, a health clinic. And they introduced him to people who were indigenous to the island who had learned how to be nurses and, and doctors and, and care for people. And they, it was just a very simple uh, little clinic, but it was clean. And there were some people who were even in there that were being taken care of. And, and he was just really fascinated. He met the entire staff. And, and he said, this is amazing, but but is, is this where Father Benjamin lives? I want to meet him. And they, they discussed again for a moment. And they said, well, okay, come with us. And they took him to another place on the island. And they went where there were ponds that had been dug just off of the shore. And when the tide would come in, those ponds would fill with water and fish. And then when the tide would go back down, the fish would be trapped. And they would pull aboard and let the water out and collect the fish. And it was quite a fascinating little operation. And uh, he met the, the fishermen, the people that operated it. And it was cool. But he said, well, is this... I wanted to go where Father Benjamin lives. I want, to, I want to see Father Benjamin. And so the chief and a couple of elders had another discussion. And they said, well, come with us. And so they went to the top of the highest uh, point on the island, the highest point, And up there was a chapel. And, they, and he said, is this where Father Benjamin lives? And they said, absolutely. This, this is where he lives. And the chief, in kind of a whispered tone, said, come inside and see our church, see our chapel. And he showed him the one Bible that they had on the island. And he said, this is where we keep the word of God. And we come and, and we study it and we learn. And it is because of Jesus Christ that our, our world is different and our lives are different. And he said, but is this where Father Benjamin lives? And he said, yes, it is. And he said, well, can I meet him? And of course, many of you are tracking with me here. But he said, no, you meet him of course you can't meet him and they said well, why or he said why can't why can't i meet father benjamin and the chief said well father benjamin died years ago and he said well why didn't you tell me that i was i wanted to see father benjamin he said but you have you asked to see where father benjamin lives and we showed you note the family resemblance God help us to be incarnational Christians who are on mission. Let us come into a place of understanding who we are as sons and daughters. And let us, Lord, be the ones that would take up our mat <laughs> and walk and be made whole. And Lord, even this very day, God, I pray that we would be very intentionally compassionate and consistently connected with one another and with you and with the needs that exist in our world and and Lord, that you would give us that prophetic edge that marks this family, people who hear from their papa. And Lord, that we can walk it out and live it out outside the doors of this church and that we and our world will never be the same. And that that isn't just some crazy optimistic statement, but it is who we are as the family of God. Let us be sure, first and foremost, of who we are and whose we are, that there's no confusion, no place for the enemy to come and rob us of our destiny because we find our value is declared by you, Papa, and not assessed by 
not even us. Certainly no one. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you a very simple question, first and foremost. Because when we talk about that man at the pool or the woman at the well, or we talk about that man that was covered with leprosy, we're not talking about them. We're talking about us. We are the redeemed. We, we were not born. We were but reborn and made new, right? So when the Apostle Paul was being beaten by a Roman centurion and, and the man said, listen, they figured out he was a Roman. And they said, to, or Paul said to them, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. And the, and the centurion's retort was, the captain of the guard, I should say, his retort was to say, well, with great expense, I bought my citizenship. To which Paul retorted, but I, I was freeborn meaning he was born into his citizenship. And for us, that is a rebirth. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, that we are not orphaned, but we are children of the adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. If there's someone here today and you don't know your identity, if you're not certain about who you are, can you do this for me? Can you just slip up your hand and say, pray with me today because I need that sense of security and I need my value to only come from who I am in Him. And if you know that you're struggling with that, can you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Maybe that will put people at peace. But it, you could just respond and say, you know, I've struggled with a sense of value and identity. That's a place where the enemy have attacked me and tried to say I don't belong. And I declare that that is a lie in the name of Jesus. That is a lie. And if you would say, Man, I just need to be made right in His sight and know who I am in Him. Would you slip up your hand and I'm going to pray over you just in a moment. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I kind of missed the middle section. I was looking right and left and I saw hands on both sides. Was there anyone in the two middle sections? If you want to slip your hand up real quick and say, that's me too. That's me too. Yeah, I see that. I appreciate that. Lord, right now, I'm going to just pray with you guys. Okay, you pray too. Lord, I just pray with these uh, men and women now, Lord, who just lift up a hand, God, that would uh, even be honest and say that the enemy have attacked them in terms of identity and value and security. And I pray, God, that you make us certain of who we are today, that you declare over us that we are sons and we are daughters, that we are joint heirs with Jesus. And today, Lord, we, we come into line with who you say we are. And God, I pray for a deep, deep contentment to settle into those hearts right now. Come on. I pray for a deep, deep contentment and certainty to settle into hearts right now, God, as we realize, come to the point of, of realization of who we are in you. In the mighty name of our big brother, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And then I'm just going to ask you one other thing. Just one other thing. There's a story that we'll get to later in this teaching. But there's a story of a son. Really, it's a story of two sons. And one stayed home but was very prodigal. He was still sitting in the house, working on the farm, but he didn't realize all that he had in relationship to his father. Then there was the other one who took his inheritance and squandered it and ran away. Who we also refer to as the prodigal. But maybe you would just say today, again, with you, if you could just bow your heads with me for one moment. I'm not praying for 10 prayers today. I believe God's going to do something and that you're going to have an opportunity to choose it and live it after we leave this place. But you might say, I know uh, in my head who I am, but in my heart I've been far from God. 
I've played a bit the role of a prodigal, whether at home or far, far away. And I just want to say to God today, hey, I just feel like, in fact, the Father wants to say to you today, welcome home. It's time to live like you're a part of this family because you are. This is your family. This is your family. And I think God wants to give you a, a hearty welcome home. But if that is you and that's, that's the place that you're coming from, this is the place you're coming to. Can you maybe wave at me as well with people not looking around? But I want to, I want to come home. I'm tired of being on the road. Yeah, I see those hands. I almost want to come home and live like a daughter, live like a son. There's probably a couple dozen hands that have just slipped up. Anybody else want to jump in on that real quick? We're going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer we believe will be heard and come true. I saw that hand. Thanks, bro. Thanks. Stand with me. Thanks for your patience today. Stand with me. All across the building, stand with me. Because here's what families do. They spend time together. So would you take the hand of your neighbor? Make sure nobody don't have at least one hand to hold. You don't have to stretch across the aisle if it, it doesn't work well. Just go ahead. That's what I meant. Stretch across that aisle. There you go. There you go. Now, Lord, today I just declare over us that we are family. And, Lord, if there are any of us who maybe have spent some time estranged from the family as of late, Lord, I pray right now that we receive the fullness of reconciliation. Pray with me, church. I pray today that we receive the fullness of reconciliation so that the enemy can no longer lie to us and tell us that we aren't apart. God, I pray that everybody knows that they have a home in you and that that creates for them an entire network of brothers and sisters, family. And God, I pray that you would empower us to live our lives as sons and daughters and that we would be on point with who you are in our world. And I pray this week would be a great week of reconciliation in our world and in our community and that we're going to have an opportunity to make everyday decisions uh, divinely ordered by you, God, and that you're going to cause us to be fruitful and effective in those relationships. Lord, that you'll give us a heads up that we will... Uh, Lord, see prophetically into the lives of the lost and that it won't be a source of pride. It'll just be who we are in you. And that we'll move sensitively and compassionately. And Lord, in that, that there'll be a harvest. God, I pray even during the course of this week that there'll be testimonies of people who come to know who they are in you. Who they are in you. Because we'd be about the family business. Living our lives connected to one another, to you, and to our world. And, Lord, that we can live lives that outlive us. That someday someone could look back and say, that was where Tammy O'Reilly lives. That's where Tammy O'Reilly lives. That's where B.J. McDonald lives, right there. He still lives in the lives of his kids and his community. That's where Craig Barton lives, right there. Craig Barton lives in those lives and in those families and in the heritage that exists there. That's where the church lady lives. Colleen Jackson lives right there. That's where she lives. Maybe years even after we're gone, God. People could look and say and see. That's that's where the Lord Jesus lives. Because ultimately, God, it's your inheritance and not ours. Storing up treasures for you. Can you say amen to that in the name of Jesus? Amen. And amen. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, I'm going to hang around up here for a few minutes. There will be a couple of ladies in the vicinity of the front you need prayer for anything don't hesitate to come we'll be happy to pray with you and for you this is definitely a go outside the walls of the church and live at word 
So go with God. In Jesus' name, amen.